0: This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. Coming up, an interview with Isabel Allende.
1: I start all my, every day with a meditation. In that meditation, I begin by saying good morning to the spirit of my daughter, who died years ago, and other spirits that helped me with my writing and my life.
0: This is an interview that aired originally on Aspen Public Radio in 2014 before First Draft was a podcast. So I'm pulling it out of the vault while I'm working on producing new episodes this week. We'll hear more from Isabel Allende in a few minutes. First, I want to invite you to be part of the First Draft community by becoming a member at patreon.com/firstdraftwriters. That's p a t r e o n.com/firstdraftwriters. I've heard that it takes listeners seven times to hear a pitch before becoming members. So I invite you to beat the odds if this is one through six, or if it's seven or more, please consider how valuable your patronage is to this podcast. Your support keeps the essential voices of writers sharing their craft and their work over the airwaves. Membership starts at just $6 a month and includes perks like extra cuts from the interviews that don't make the final show, writing tips from my guests, books, and perhaps best of all, pitch free ad free episodes every single week. You will receive your own link to an ad free pitch free first draft feed that you can play wherever you listen to podcasts. So please go to patreon.com slash first draft writers and join the first draft family. Every month you get a newsletter and at random extra thank you gifts from me. That's p a t r e o n.com slash first draft writers. I have an archive of more than 230 episodes, and I hope that from them you have learned something about craft and heard new and interesting perspectives about the world we live in and our human journey. I know that right now it's unlikely you are in front of a computer, so I'd like to suggest adding a little reminder for yourself for when you get home to contribute to First Draft. Maybe make a note on your phone, an ink mark on your hand, scribble on a piece of paper, something along the lines of, First Draft Reminder. Membership matters. I'm committed to bringing you in-depth conversations with today's best writers of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, and essays. And I also have a website now. You can find out more about the show at firstdraftwriters.com. Stay tuned at the end of this episode. I'll offer recommendations on other episodes you can dig into. And please rate the show on iTunes and tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you so much. My guest today is Isabel Allende, writer, journalist, and teacher. Allende has written more than 20 books of fiction and nonfiction that have sold more than 60 million copies and have been translated into 35 languages. Her first novel, The House of Spirits, began as a letter to her dying grandfather. Other works include Of Love and Shadows, Evil Luna, Paula, Daughter of Fortune, and Zorro. Allende also has a foundation dedicated to empowering women and girls and protecting women and children. She was born in Chile and now lives in California. Her latest book, at the time of this interview, was a crime novel called Ripper. We began our interview talking about her feminism. She has said she became a feminist at the age of five.
1: I saw my mother as a victim when I was growing up. My mother was very young when she married the wrong man, my father who abandoned her with three children. I was three years old. And um, and my mother had to go back to live in her father's house, where she had a roof of her, over her head, and she had food. But she never had any cash. She never had... She, she, she couldn't work. She was not prepared to work. And it was the 40s, a time when women in Chile, few of them worked. So um, my mother was always sick, she was unhappy, she was depressed, and she's very smart and was very beautiful. So as a child, I grew up with the idea that being a woman was not fun. I wanted to be like my grandfather. He had all the privileges. He had the money, he had the car, he could he could go out, not my mother. So uh, very young, I thought that it was very unfair, and I tried to protect my mother, but, but I realized that it was so much bigger than the household so much bigger than myself that I couldn't really help her. And I began to, to rebel against every form of authority when I was really young. It was first, of course, the males in the family. Then it was the school. Then the church. Then the police. Every, everybody and everything. And finally, when I was in my, in my very early 20s, I started reading um, feminist books from authors from Britain or the United States. And I realized that that what I felt, this terrible anger, had a cause. I wasn't the only one feeling it. There was an articulate language to express it. There's, there was a movement somewhere in the world called feminism that had not reached Chile yet, and and I could identify with it. So I didn't feel so lonely.
0: And do you think there's anything about just finding a voice for women that, that still led you to journalism?
1: I love telling stories, and I like to write. And never thought that I could be a writer because the only women writers that I knew about were all some old British spinsters that had died. They had committed suicide. Um, the The rest were just males, and the great boom of Latin American literature— was a bunch of men. There were no women there. So I never thought that I would be a writer, but I could be a journalist. And I found a job in a feminine, very avant-garde magazine that started to deal with feminism early on when it wasn't an issue in Chile yet. So I found my niche, my perfect niche. And that's how I began writing. But I wasn't thinking that to give a voice to women, I, it was just, you know, just random energy and and the wish, the desire to change everything, to change the society, the culture, the religion, everything.
0: Do you think that literature can change those things in the same way that journalism can?
1: Um, no. Journalism is a very different media. Literature can maybe change minds, but few people read. Few people allow themselves to be influenced or changed by books. It takes a book sometimes decades, sometimes centuries to have an effect, while journalism is very immediate and very powerful. You have minutes of something on TV, and you can create much more impact than a book can do in many, many years.
0: So that part of you that maybe wanted to make change, you were still drawn to to writing books. W- was that just about letting the storyteller out? I wasn't
1: drawn to writing books until I left Chile after the military coup. We had a military coup on September 11th, 1973. And uh, after that, it was we had a brutal military dictatorship. I had to leave my country. And I went... Um, as a political refugee to Venezuela where I couldn't find a job as a journalist I ended up administering a school working 12 hours a day and very unhappy and my first book was was an, a crazy attempt to recover the world I had lost the anecdotes of my family the history of my country my grandfather who, who was dying um, everything that I had lost really I don't think I would have become a writer without that experience, that exercise in nostalgia.
0: You grew up living in various countries around the world, including Chile and Peru and Lebanon, and you have said you don't have a religious practice and didn't really growing up. I'm wondering if there is a spiritual element for you in writing.
1: Absolutely. There is, uh, I, I, I think that spirits helped me in the writing. I start all my, every day with a meditation. In that meditation, I begin by saying good morning to the spirit of my daughter who died years ago and uh, other spirits that helped me with my writing and my life. And after my meditation, I go to my casita in the back of the, of the garden. I have a little house there, and I write. And I light candles for the spirits that I think accompany me. I don't see ghosts or anything like that, but I think there are many dimensions to reality that we live in a world that is very mysterious. Our life is very mysterious. So there is space and time for all kinds of mysterious things. Why would I limit myself to what I can see and explain? I I love the idea that, that I am surrounded by stories, by characters, by by people that I can't see.
0: And does that make writing at all sort of a channeled experience? I mean, do you ever feel like something's sort of coming through you?
1: Yes, um, I, not without effort. I still have to show up in front of the computer many, many hours a day and correct and in research and all that. But sometimes I have to wonder, why am I writing this book? this particular book. Why am I writing about, for example, the slave revolt in Haiti 200 years ago? That has nothing to do with me or my culture. There were no plantations in Chile, no African slaves. Why, why am I so interested? Why am I so moved that I, that I researched for four years and spent years writing a book that is such a heavy book to write? Well, I don't know. I think that, that there, there is a calling that that the, the characters existed, that they are calling me to tell their stories. And at some point, I, I wouldn't say all the time, but at some some moments during the writing, I feel that I am writing something that I don't know, or or maybe I didn't know that I knew it. But how could I know it? So it is a, a feeling that that I am an instrument, a, me, a medium in a way.
0: Tell me about your new novel, Ripper.
1: It's a crime fiction tongue-in-cheek. I am sort of making fun of the genre, within the genre. I'm being very respect- respectful of what a mystery is, and it's a very particular kind of book, and I stick to the formula in a way, but I'm making fun of it also. It's very ironic. And uh, I in this case, it was a Fun book to write. I wasn't channeling anything; it was just fun, and I hope that the readers will have the same fun reading it. I it start the idea started with um, it wasn't my idea really. It was my agent's idea. Uh, I announced in 2011 that I was going to retire, and she panicked and she said, "No, no, you have to write a book with your husband." My husband is a mystery writer. He has written several books. And uh, he, he would not adapt to my style or my kind of book. So I decided that I would write a book, a mystery, with him. And we started, like, like planning it and talking about it. By, I start all my books on January 8th. By January 7th, 2012, we had a very, very vague idea. And I went to my casita to work, and he went to watch TV. He he writes in English, and he has a span attention of 11 minutes. I write in Spanish, and I I write for 11 hours. So I knew that I would end up doing all the work, and he would get half the credit. So we started fighting like crazy and uh, realized very soon that we would not be able to write the book together. So he went to his room to write his sixth novel, and I went to my casita to write my first mystery.
0: Well, one of the things that interested me about about this book, I mean, there's many things that interested me, and, um, you know, you do still write about strong women, but in the very end, in the acknowledgement, you talk about a psychologist who helped you develop the villain, and I'm just wondering if you could expound on that a little.
1: Yeah, we, we have a friend that is a therapist, a psychologist, and he um, worked with serial killers. And so he had experience in that, and he helped me to de- develop the character so that I could create a background for, for, for the villain. What had happened in that person's life to make him or her do whatever they, they do. His, his input was really important. It's very easy to create a, a villain that, that commits horrible crimes. The reader needs to know why. For, for, for a writer, the most important thing is the motivation. Why? Not the action.
0: And so he really helped you. Did, did you have weird dreams at all when you were working on this, thinking I about... always
1: have dreams. As soon as I start writing, I, I start having really weird dreams. And I have a little notepad next to my bed in, on, on a little table that I have there where I write. Sometimes I don't even turn on the light because I don't want to wake my husband. But But I take rapid notes to see. And then the next day I try to decipher them. To remember the dream because it's so easy to forget it. And that's the first thing I do in the morning after my meditation. And during the meditation also, I, I, I try to remember because I think there are messages in, the, in dreams, hints, clues. It's a coded language that is so interesting.
0: You often write about characters who are marginalized or compromised physically. Maybe they're deformed. In this novel, Ripper, you have a main character, Ryan Miller, who is a former Navy SEAL who lost a leg in combat. I'm wondering about your decision to include this type of detail for your characters in your work. Uh,
1: In in many of my books, my characters are sort of different, not necessarily because they have a deformity, and I don't think that losing a limb is a deformity. It's, uh, it makes you a little different from the rest of, of, of the people, and, and so you have to develop some kind of inner strategy to cope with it, and that is what interests me. That's why my characters are always somehow marginals, people who are not sheltered by the big umbrella of the establishment. Uh, it's um, I, I write about strong women who fight against all odds to survive, uh, about orphan children, about um, men who have been traumatized in war of, or in other circumstances. Those are the people who have been kidnapped, people who are foreigners. I write a lot about immigrants and foreigners. I, I like the idea of. Bringing from inside strength that we don't know we have inside to cope with life. I'm not interested in easy lives at all or normal lives. And so those are my characters. In this case, uh, the Navy SEAL that, that is traumatized by the war and has lost a limb has to deal with so much that he becomes a very interesting character. I'm not interested in just the soldier. I want the other part of the soldier as well.
0: Can you talk about the decision-making process in writing a novel? You talked about the spirit coming to you in writing, and I know you write out your first draft from beginning to end and then go back to revise and find tension and conflicts but you have so many decisions about your character you have to make, like backstory and their relationships to their friends and family. And is that unconscious, or is it hard and very deliberate for you? Or maybe it's easy.
1: Sometimes I don't even make the decision. The decision comes naturally um, because it's the most appropriate thing for the character. So the character determines that um, more than myself sometimes the, the the decisions is 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 am i going to allow the story to go in that direction or i will force the story in another direction i have been writing for more than 30 years and i have learned that i have to relax i have really have to relax and and let my take a deep breath open a vein and just let it be and write with with confidence that the characters will lead me in the right direction and if I try to control it too much, it won't work. I will reach the end and it will be contrived. It won't it won't end naturally. So I, I allow it to flow. And often I'm not even conscious of the decision I've made until the very end.
0: Was that something you, you really learned over several novels, or did yeah. you...
1: Yeah, because I, 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 at the beginning, not with The House of the Spirits, because as I said, I didn't know what I was doing. But with other books, trying to plan it ahead, trying to control it to determine the ending, or worse, even worse, try to deliver a message, it doesn't work. In fiction, it doesn't work, and I, when I re- would read it, I would realize that it was forced, that it was hard, that, that it, it was unnaturally, unor- it wasn't organic, it didn't flow, and if I didn't believe in the story, why would the reader? And that my first duty as a writer is to make this agreement with the reader in which the reader surrenders to my story, and I have to make it believable. Even if it's the most magical and the most awkward and fantastical story, I still need the reader to surrender.
0: So why were you going to retire? And will you still?
1: Oh, because, because it was a very hard time. My husband was sick. He was misdiagnosed, fortunately. But he, um, he, we thought he was going to die. And he's fortunately doing very well. So it was a very hard time for the family. And then uh, my husband's son died, and my husband went into a depression, and he collapsed, really. So um, it's been hard, very hard. But now things, I mean, I'm sure this is going to be a good year. Last year was pretty bad for us. But this is going to be a good year, and I'm ready to go back to work and write and travel and do whatever I have to do. And my husband is back writing, too, so it's
0: good. Did you find that suffering the loss of a daughter helped in in knowing how to provide comfort or just be be there for your husband?
1: Actually, no. When when my daughter died, I was so so isolated in in my grief that I didn't allow anybody close, really. And when this, so I couldn't. I could very well understand what Willie felt. Um, he didn't want me near him. He didn't want anybody near him. And he was enraged and and depressed. And also, it was a very... uh, Harley died in very hard circumstances of an overdose. So uh, Willie didn't know that his son was using again because he had been a, a drug addict before, and Willie thought that he was clean. But he wasn't. And so Willie felt betrayed and angry at Harley and angry at the world, and the circumstances of Harley's death were very different from my daughter's, but the grief is the same, and, and, and yet I could not help him.
0: I know that you grew up and you're saying that you devoured books as a child, but I'm wondering if you can read a brief passage from an author that speaks to you or influenced you as a writer.
1: I could, but most of the, of the books that have influenced me as a writer, I read when I was younger in Spanish. Uh, but I would like to read to you something that has influenced me when I wrote Island Beneath the Sea and then another book, in which, I don't know, this, this, this poem really was important for me. I will not read the whole poem because it's a little long, but I will read the parts that really moved me the most. And this is by Naomi Shihab Naye, a great, great poet. It's called Kindness. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things, feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, You must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must stick to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes any sense. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head. From the crowd of the world to say, It is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend.
0: So just tell me a little bit about how that moved you or influenced you.
1: I have lived a very long life. I'm 71 years old. I have gone through a lot. I have started from scratch many times. I have lost my daughter. I have lost a lot in my life, and I have gained a lot too. I have had. Great sorrow and great success. And when I think of my life, what I want for my family, what I want for my marriage, my office, my foundation, my books, my relationships in the world, with the world, with nature, with other people, is kindness. That is the, the glue that holds everything together. And when kindness is lost, is that we we are in trouble. The world is in trouble. So I'm a great admirer of this poem, and I keep keep saying it to myself with uh, with a sense that this woman was able to put words to what I feel very deeply to be true.
0: So can you read a passage from something you wrote, and it could be something that you thought was hard to write, or something that changed from the first draft, or something you feel you succeeded at?
1: I will read to you um, a passage from the end of my memoir, Paula, and that is the most difficult and painful thing I have ever written. It's the time when Paula died. The cold of death comes from within, like a blazing, internal bonfire. When I kissed Paula, ice lingered on my lips like a burn. I slipped into bed beside my daughter, cradling her against my bosom as I had when she was young. Celia removed the cat and arranged the two sleeping children so their bodies would warm their aunt's feet. Nicolás took his sister's hand. Willie and my mother sat on either side, surrounded by ethereal beings, by murmurs and tenuous fragrances from the past, by ghosts and apparitions, by friends and relatives living and dead. All during the slow night we waited, remembering the difficult moments, but especially the happy ones, telling stories, crying a little, and smiling a lot, honoring the light of Paula as she sank deeper and deeper into the final sleep, her breast barely rising at slower and slower intervals. I felt myself sinking into cool water and knew that the voyage through pain was ending in an absolute void. As I dissolved, I had the revelation that the void was filled with everything the universe holds, nothing and everything at once, light and darkness. I am the void. I am everything that exists. I am in every leaf of the forest, in every drop of the dew. In every particle of ash carried by the stream, I am Paula, and I am also Isabel. I am nothing, and all other things in this life and other lives, immortal. Godspeed, Paula, woman. Welcome, Paula, spirit.
0: Did you find it healing to write that at all? It, it became healing later
1: when I got when the book was published and I got the response of the readers. More than 20 years have gone by since I wrote that and it was published. And we get, I say we because we get the office and the foundation, letters almost every day from people somewhere in the world that are reading the book or they have read the book and now they have a loss in their lives and they relate to it or they have discovered the book recently. And it is so comforting. Know that Paula's spirit is going around, touching people's hearts, and maybe helping some people to cope with their own losses. Everybody has losses in their lives, so uh, everybody can relate to, to what happened.
0: Where do you write?
1: At the very end of the garden, we have a pool house that I've transformed into my casita. It's two rooms and a bathroom with bookshelves all around with all my first editions and my dictionaries, my computer, photographs and a couple of rag dolls that belong to Paula that I made when I was when I was pregnant.
0: And what do you do or where do you go to get away from writing?
1: I don't go very far. I walk in the garden or I take the dogs out. I I love beading and reading.
0: Who do you show your work to first to get feedback?
1: I used to show it to my mother, but my mother is now ninety three years old. First of all I write in Spanish, so I don't have an editor in the United States and I can't show it to anybody here. Uh so I used to send it to my mother and she would come all the way from Chile with a red pencil and my manuscript and we would fight for days. But now my mother is ninety three and for the last four books she has not been able to do that. So now I don't have anybody to get feedback from. Um, until it's too late when the book is published, and then I get the critics and the and the journalists.
0: How have you dealt with rejection?
1: I had rejection at the beginning with uh, The House of the Spirit. I wrote the book and I sent the book to the different publishers. I, they didn't even reply. Uh, and if they did reply, it was a very informal no on the phone. Um, but I was I was, it was natural for me at that point that no one, no one would be interested in my manuscript. Nobody knew me. I hadn't written anything before. I was this middle-aged Chilean exile who would want anything with me. So it, I wasn't, I wasn't hurt, much hurt. And since then, fortunately, I have never had a rejection.
0: And what is your favorite word? Spirit. Do you prefer the word in English or Spanish?
1: In Spanish, espíritu. I, And is it's a wonderful word in Spanish because it's very inclusive of many things.
0: You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing. My guest was Isabel Allende, author of Ripper. This interview was recorded in 2014. If you liked today's show, check out my interview with a writer you might also enjoy, Italian writer Paolo Giordano. You can find the entire archive of interviews on my website at firstdraftwriters.com. You can also follow First Draft on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for First Draft, A-D-O-W. That's short for First Draft, a dialogue on writing. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com anytime. Remember, there are plenty of extras for becoming a member and donating to First Draft, including cuts from the interviews from this month's episode that didn't make it into the final show, and writing tips from my guests. And please rate the show on iTunes and invite a friend to listen. A huge thank you goes out to my patrons for making this interview happen. Your support makes First Draft a dialogue on writing a reality every week. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm Mitzi Rapkin, your host and producer. Thank you for listening.